Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. This show is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. And I'm Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. He's going to talk about what we learned from our synod, which I don't think I really ever heard that word until recently. And the church seems to be using a lot lately. And we had this synod on synodality. Can you explain what a synod is in the first place and then what a synod on synodality is? Yeah, I mean, the word synod is, you know, there have been synods throughout church history, councils and synods, synods are gatherings, typically referring to synods of bishops. And we see these in the early centuries of the church. They sometimes would call them councils. Sometimes they would call them synods. After Vatican II, we have what are called synods of bishops, so there have been a couple dozen, and we're a representative number of bishops from around the world that the, would be usually elected, some appointed by the Pope, some elected by Episcopal conferences, to gather in Rome, and usually for a month, and they discuss a particular theme. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had some wonderful synods, for example, that produced wonderful documents. Mm-hmm. Think about John Paul II's document, I Will Give You Shepherds. That was after the Synod on Priestly Formation. Okay. It's very, very rich. There was a Synod on Consecrated Life, and he wrote an apostolic exhortation on the consecrated life after that. So there have been many. I don't want to go through all of them, but the Synod on the Word of God is another one, and the Synod on the Eucharist. And oh. Pope Benedict wrote beautiful apostolic exhortations after both of them. The one called Verbum Domini, the Word of God, and then also the the Apostolic Exhortation Sacrament of Charity about the Eucharist. Then under Pope Francis, there have been a couple synods for exa- of bishops. For example, the the uh, Synod on the Family, and he wrote the Apostolic Exhortation, the Joy of Love, Amoris Laetitia. After that, it was unusual. He had instead of just one synod, there were two sessions across two years, and what is new in the way Pope Francis has approached this is he, if you remember back in the Synod on the Family, he wanted input from the laity around the world. So there was, you know, kind of input that dioceses could Mm -hmm. give to the bishops for the Synod. And that's even intensified now with this new approach that we have now and this Synod on Synodality, where Pope Francis really had the Synod Secretariat in Rome ask all dioceses in the world to have these listening sessions among the laity and priests and religious Mm -hmm. where they would gather for reflection. And then the dioceses would then do kind of a synthesis of all those sessions and send it to the Episcopal Conference, Uh, just a 10-page synthesis. Okay. And then the Episcopal Conference would do a synthesis of all of these (laughs) Uh diocesan syntheses throughout the country. And then it goes on to the continental level, which is where we're at now, America. And then it goes to Rome, the universal level. So it's kind of like a grounds up. up. I mean, the word synod basically means to journey together. So the whole idea is that we are the people of God and... You know, that concept that's highlighted in the Second Vatican Council. So all God's people journey together. You know, we're all on our way to the promised land of heaven. And 
I think where Pope Francis really wants is that the local churches, that all the people be engaged, since we're all in this journey together. Mm -hmm. So he has this notion of synodality that he wanted us to reflect on. So this synod is the synod on synodality. So the bishops will gather in October of 2023 to discuss all of these the input that they have received. But then recently, Pope Francis said he doesn't think that's going to be enough. So like with the Synod on the Family, he's going to have it discussed also in October 2024. So basically, it's it's quite an, an undertaking. Pope Francis is very strong that it's important that we listen to each other mm-hmm. and that people gather to share their experiences of, of life in the church. And he's very clear also that this should not be a political thing. In other words, this should be a mutual coming together in prayer and discernment. And as a Jesuit, of course, he's very much into discernment. I mean, that's a key contribution of St. Ignatius of Loyola, the spiritual exercises. But it's easier said than done, to be Mm -hmm. honest. But... How this will eventually work out, that remains to be seen. But Pope Francis is trusting that the Holy Spirit is guiding the church to move forward in this way. So every diocese is doing their own little listening sessions. Was there a guide to keep them somewhat consistent so that whenever you're comparing results from them, you were asking some of the same questions? Or was each diocese given some flexibility into how they want to conduct those? We were given some flexibility. To be honest, the questions that came from Rome were a little complicated. Hmm. So they actually expected us to kind of adapt them to our local situations. And and we did that in our diocese. And so we presented the questions for consultation and very, you know, kind of applying what Rome had suggested. So we had these key questions, for example, just asking them about how they feel as members of the church walking together. Do they feel welcome? Mm-hmm. Do they feel left out? You know, so there were questions like that. And it was really interesting. I mean, we, we had a lot of groups in our diocese, a lot of listening sessions, and it went quite well. As a matter of fact, the participation, I mean, nationwide, and you know, the, the, uh, to be honest, it's really only a fraction of a per, I, it's I, it's less than one percent sure. of Catholics in the United States who actually participated. So you have to be a little careful because of that low percentage of drawing conclusions. But my experience is that people who participated really found it beneficial. They enjoyed being with their brothers and sisters in the faith and to to share mm-hmm. with each other and to listen to each other. And to do so in a prayerful manner. Mm -hmm. And then when we drew up the synthesis for our diocese, that was a lot of different, you know, the input from the facilitators. You had to read their notes, all the notes that were submitted, you know, to see some common themes or whatever, how, how the questions were answered. And then, of course, when they did the national synthesis, you know, that was even a lot more work. So you think about 100 and what, 80 dioceses, you know, and, and also religious communities and others who, who submitted. So our listening sessions were conducted in the winter and spring of 2022. 
So we had the successions on the vicariate level, but a number of parishes and high schools are Catholic colleges and had their own sessions. And it was always done in order to it, to be in a spiritual framework. So it begin with mass or, or a period of prayer or adoration, blessed sacrament. And then the large groups would break into smaller groups of four to 10 people and they'd have a facilitator and someone who took notes. And as I said, most people were very positive. They enjoyed sharing their thoughts and many, you could see their authentic love for the church. And uh, so they really engaged. And I'd say that happened across the country. The other thing, though, that some are being somewhat critical about is where it attracted some who, how would I say it, approached it more from a political standpoint. And mm. that's what the Pope himself warned against. He didn't want this to be seen like, a, he wanted this to be a spiritual discernment. He didn't want it to be like a parliament he right. used that word. So, you know how in a democracy you have, let's say our Congress, for example, where you have debate and all of that political debate. That's not what a synod's to be. Mm -hmm. And Pope Francis warned against that. But to be honest, across the world, there were some who had a political agenda. And so how the church manages that so that this really will work, I don't know. It's a little confusing. Like, how do you avoid that? Like, of course, the worst example is this in Germany, the synodal path, where they're calling for radical changes that really aren't in line with the, with the gospel and the tradition of the church. Right. So their agenda was change church, church teaching on sexuality, change the ministerial structure, mm -hmm. you know, pretty radical changes. And that's been upsetting to the Vatican, obviously, and to most bishops around the world have been very critical of what they call the synodal path mm -hmm. in Germany. And that kind of makes, gives some cause of fear of, of schism, you know, like, yeah. can this lead to um, division in the church? So there's certain dangers if a synod is kind of... Um, doesn't have boundaries. I mean, we should be uniting as believers. Mm -hmm. Point is not to create new doctrine, no. The, the, the point is how we can better spread the gospel and needs to be centered on Christ and needs to be centered on the church's mission of salvation, not on, and, and it can't discard the teaching authority of the church and the magisterium. Well, and looking at our own synod, I guess, what, what were some of the strategies for getting a diverse set of, of input? Because I imagine there's some kind of participation bias, like the people that participate in some of this are, are a specific type of person that either has the time to do it or either has an agenda or, you know, in, in a devious way or wants to improve the church in a, in a healthy way. How, how do you get diversity? Because I noticed some of the results were from atheists or agnostics. And like whenever you say, we're going to start with mass and or adoration, and then we're going to have this listening session. How do you get people to participate from all walks of life? Yeah, that's a really interesting thing because Pope Francis said we should try to get people whose voices are normally not heard. Mm -hmm. So he was 
saying, you know, for example, non-practicing Catholics or those who've been hurt by the church. He wanted us to go to the peripheries, bring the poor in. So, and the poor. So we made a special effort, for example, to get some of the people we serve through Catholic charities. We wanted to have the poor. We wanted it. We had sessions in various languages of the diocese because we wanted to hear the voices, for mm-hmm. example, of our Spanish speaking and our Vietnamese and Burmese. Mm-hmm. We wanted to hear from youth. That's why we had a lot of sessions in our high schools and colleges and universities. So we wanted to have that diversity. And I think we did pretty good. I think where it gets a little bit difficult is, you know, discerning the Holy Spirit and an invitation to those who don't believe. I'm not saying there shouldn't be dialogue, but I'm not sure this is where that dialogue should take place if we're Mm -hmm. talking about discerning God's will for the church. Right. So I have my own questions about that. And I think since this is so new, there are questions like that that Mm -hmm. need to be pondered because otherwise I think it can go off track. Yeah. I I think maybe people that left the church, it'd be good to get input. Like, why are you leaving kind of a thing? Mm -hmm. And and maybe for different reasons, it'd be good to get what people's perception of the church is that are outside of the church. You know, maybe not for this specifically, but I'm I'm sure they could come in helpful for other things. Well, I think even in the syntheses, well, definitely the national synthesis, the voice of those who are in dissent from church teaching is is there in a a way that I think is not representative of the majority in many cases as, as far as active Catholics. Yeah. You know, like I felt that you know, just from my own experience, especially with young people who are active and very involved in the church and others very committed, I don't know that their voice was strong enough, at least in the syntheses. Mm. And that is a concern from, I've heard others have that concern as well. Other dioceses? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And others across the country, yeah. And I, I don't I don't think it was so much in our diocese that was there, but I think in some other places and some questioning whether it was really an accurate synthesis. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of like who wrote these syntheses is another question, you know, like and then how is Rome going to deal with them? It gets pretty it is pretty complex. Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting because looking at the data is one thing. Yeah. And then looking at somebody's interpretation of the data is a different thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was there any like surveys done or was it mostly dialogue based? It was mostly dialogue based. I think before the Synod on the family, there were the surveys. Oh, right. Remember yeah. we did them online. Yep. But no, not this time. The idea was to have these personal small group sessions. Okay. That's what Rome wanted us to do. Yeah. Well, I want to get into some of the findings here, first from our diocese, but then how that relates to maybe a national, uh, is there similarities, are there differences? Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that and also the extension and what that might look like, how the Eucharistic revival might play into this and what some next steps might be. Coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? 
while banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives with products, services, and education. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it back to our members. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with Bishop talking about the Synod on Synodality. We talked about the the process of putting together a synthesis and, and where we are in that whole structure. Didn't get into the details so much. What are some of the findings from our diocese? And how long is the, the report is only like, what, six, seven pages, maybe? Well, 10 pages. 10, okay. That's, that was the maximum that we were to have. I think, you know, reading it, you know, when we, we had, for example, the theme of the youth, and we had a lot of youth from the diocese, from our Catholic high schools, and that included non-Catholic youth in our Catholic high schools. Very interesting. Uh-huh. And, you know, asking them about what was going well in their spiritual lives, what their struggles were, how they felt as members of the church. And, you know, a lot, you could see their faith. I mean, that they go to church. Mm-hmm. They talked about their prayer life. Some of the non-Catholic students talked about how they felt welcomed in their our Catholic high schools. Mm-hmm. And then there are some who shared that their faith isn't very strong or that they find mass boring. Mm-hmm. But there were more who were, I'd say, positive. Some said that they do struggle with their belief in certain teachings of the church, but they didn't reject those teachings. A lot of them just shared that they that it's a struggle. And some talk about struggles in their prayer life. You know, they were just very honest. Some struggle with especially teachings on sexuality, mm-hmm. church teachings on sexuality. So anyhow, I think there were just a lot of different things. But I overall, I, I think that, you know, I was pleased to see a lot of positive experiences. As far as the whole idea of journeying together, so many people talked about how it was important that there be these personal relationships in their parishes and that that there be efforts to strengthen parish life, to have beautiful liturgies, for example. You know, some would talk about, you know, Bible studies. Mm -hmm. And a number of people express their sadness at the division in the church. Yeah. That came across the division between left and right, so-called liberals and conservatives. Mm-hmm. You know, they talked about things that we they thought we could do better. Some talked about and I think this varied according to what their own parishes were, but some would mention for example how we could reach out more to those who are str- struggling with mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. And those who are dealing with addictions and substance abuse. A lot of them said, I think we're very honest about areas where they think we could be more effective. Others talked about, and there were kind of different opinions on this, that the church needed to be stronger in proclaiming the truths about human sexuality. Hmm. And then there were others who struggled with church teaching in that area. So you get both of that. A lot of them talked about how the Eucharist is truly the center of their lives of faith. Mm -hmm. We talk about the Eucharistic revival, 
Several talked about the importance of having good music at Mass, that priests really relate the scriptures to their daily life when they preach. Mm -hmm. That's really important. Prayer in the family. A lot were talking about need to be more accompanied in how to build their prayer life. You know, so there's this spiritual hunger. So I was, I mean, I think it was really a lot of good input that we got. As a matter of fact, I kind of felt that our diocesan synthesis was more positive than the national synthesis. Hmm. Why do you think that is? We have a great diocese. (laughs) (laughs) Do you Uh, think there's more tension in other dioceses than maybe even like bigger cities and stuff like that, especially? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, we do have some division in our diocese, some polarization, but I think it's less than other bishops are dealing with. Yeah. How how does overall our results compare with the national synthesis? I would really have to study it more, Kyle. Uh-huh. I've been so busy, but I do want to devote more time to like really reflecting more deeply on both the diocesan and the national and the regional, because there's also, by the way, there's the regional synthesis right. too. I forgot to right. mention that because we're region seven. So region seven includes the dioceses of Indiana, Illinois, and Wisconsin. Okay. So there's really three syntheses for us to look at mm-hmm. the diocese itself, our region, then the national, and then eventually there'll be a continental synthesis. Uh-huh. So it kind of works its way up. And we'll see. Yeah. So I'm not sure where the regional synthesis is, but I, I did get a copy of the U.S. national synthesis and then our diocesan one. We can put links of that for both of those in the show notes. They are very interesting. And yeah, you could pour over this like 700,000 participants in the national. Right. So con- <laughs> condensing that all into what this is 16 pages right. is, is pretty... I think you can get the Region 7. Remember, we're Region 7. Okay. You could probably get that, that synthesis on the website of the USCCB. I th- I'm not sure if they have a separate website on the Synod, but definitely there'd be a link to the Synod. So I think all the regions in the United States would be, their syntheses would be on that website. Yeah. You- the National Synthesis, by the way, when you talk about the participation I think every diocese in the United States. So we have 178 Latin dioceses and we have 18 Eastern Catholic dioceses. Hmm. So you add that up, that's almost 200 dioceses that we're talking about. And we have almost 70 million Catholics in the United States. And by the way, those 178 dioceses, they include the Archdiocese for the Military Services and the personal ordinariate of the chair of St. Peter. That was the former Anglicans. So we have these 15 administrative regions, 14 representing Latin churches, and the Eastern Catholic are a separate region. So there's a total of 15 regions. Mm -hmm. We are in region seven. So when we meet as a USCCB, like in, in November, we have our plenary assembly, during the week, we have a couple times where the bishops of their region meet together as a smaller group for discussion. That happens every year. 
Okay. So I imagine sometime in 2024, 2025, we'll get some kind of a document coming from the Vatican. From the Pope. From the Pope. Normally, that's what happens. Like after the synods, usually the Pope has an apostolic, what's called an apostolic exhortation. Okay. The last one, well, no, he, he did one not only after the synod on the family, but remember the synod on young people. Right, right. And the apostolic exhortation was called Christus vivit, Christ lives. Yeah. Was there another synod after the young? No, I think that was the last one, right? It's the last one I remember. Yeah. <clears throat> but when you think about the the national, there were 22,000 reports, but there were 700,000 American Catholics who participated. But when you think about that, 700,000 out of, you know, 67 yeah. million. Right. That's a very small percentage. Yeah. Uh, the Amazon synod, would that be? That, that was that not. That was more regional. Well, I think that was a regional synod. Okay. I don't think that was a universal one. So the document. Or was it? Was that a world synod of bishops? Did bishops? I don't know. I have to look back. Yeah. But. Either way, there'll be a document that comes out that'll be a, a reflection on what we found and, and hopefully like some, some ideas on how to move forward. Do you anticipate there being something like that on the national level as well as like specifically to the United States? What are some ways moving forward that we need to address some of these issues? Well, I'm sure what will happen is through our work in the USCCB, some of the issues that come forward would probably be part of our own pastoral okay. planning. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it farmed out to subcommittees and things exactly. like that to come up with a, a document or a statement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or I, maybe some particular initiatives. I mean, a lot of our focus right now is on the Eucharistic revival. Yeah. And I think there's information from the synod discussions that are helpful right. regarding the Eucharistic revival. Yeah. Anything uh, you mentioned that, you know, a lot of people mentioned the Eucharist being a, a big part of their faith or, or something that they really do benefit from anything else that you see as a direct correlation between the Eucharistic revival and, and the synod? Well, we particularly in, in the United States, I think all of the dioceses, including our own, added a question about oh. the Eucharist okay. uh, because we were embarked on the revival. I thought that was important because, and, and in that many people talked about how the liturgy is central to their life and how they receive strength from their attendance at mass. And a lot of them loved the liturgical year and talked about the rhythm in their prayer life because of the, the liturgical year. So that was interesting. But a number did say that, that they thought that we needed to have more education on the meaning of the Eucharist and the sa other sacraments and that we needed to, you know, really, you know, ensure that our liturgies are celebrated beautifully mm -hmm. and that preaching be good and that music be good. They talked also about prayer in the home mm. as, and I was really happy to see that too. A number of them who have Eucharistic adoration in their parishes, you know, were grateful for that. And many talked about the need to have more silence in their lives mm. and prayer. And I thought that's so important. I've been kind of preaching about that quite a bit lately. Yeah. Even at moments in the liturgy, like after communion, we need some silent prayer. Yeah. You know, we shouldn't just be always singing or always 
praying out loud. We need some silence, mm-hmm. especially after receiving communion. I've been preaching at the various masses about that. So I, I still believe that the Eucharistic revival is really an opportunity, and even to try to bring some people back to the practice of faith. A lot of people at the Synod session said they need more catechesis on the Mass and the Eucharist, and that's why I'm giving, personally, I'm giving two major conferences on both sides of the diocese. It's really going to be on a catechesis and theology of the Eucharist, because I see there's a lot of need for this. Mm-hmm. And many pointed out also the importance that we have reverence at Mass. So those are good, helpful comments. Any ideas on how to implement that? Or is there going to be any emphasis coming from the diocese or f- toward our parishes uh, trying to Well, we just had the, on that? you know, in October, our annual priest workshop, Continuing uh-huh. Education Days, was on this. Oh, okay, great. We had two beautiful talks by Bishop Cousins, who's the bishop who's the uh, head of the Eucharistic Revival. And yeah. so I two beautiful talks in the Eucharist. And then... Did he come for that or... He came for that. I oh, invited wow. him, yeah. And then three talks by Professor Tim O'Malley, who uh-huh. directs the Notre Dame Center for Liturgy at the McGrath Institute. Gave yeah. three wonderful talks on on the liturgy and celebrating the, the liturgy with beauty. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to have 40 hours in all of our parishes next year. So on the diocesan level, we're trying, we're providing things to improve music mm-hmm. in parishes. I mean, it's, it varies from parish to parish, obviously, yeah. some, you know, with musicians. But I do think, you know, like I've been stressing the importance of silence. So I think there's things we can do. And Brian McMichael, who's head of our diocesan office of worship, mm-hmm. provides a lot of good materials for our parishes yeah, and our schools. All right. Well, thank you so much for breaking that down for us. Again, I'll have links in the show notes, which if you're listening on the radio, you can find those at spokestreet.com slash askbishop. Click on this episode and you can click on the the notes, the the description there. We'll have the links to the synthesis for local, the regional, and the national as well. And thank you for sharing with us, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.